0: Well, my sermon this morning is titled The Long Game. The long game refers to having a, a long-term plan, a, a long-term goals of doing things now that will affect the future. And so some of you guys may be thinking, uh, invest in a Roth IRA. And so, you know, saving pennies now will, will will make you thousands later in life. And that is a good long game that you should play. So do that, invest in a Roth IRA, <laughs> but that's not... The point of this, Um, that's not what we're talking about. The long game helps helps us place uh, these daily actions that we have into a longer term perspective. And so, because if we ask ourselves, if you ask yourselves right now, if every action you choose to do or not to do, will it matter in five minutes? Will it matter in five days? Will it matter in 50 days? Will it matter in in five years? These are the things that I want us to be able to think about. Should should I just unload on this person on social media? Should I enjoy that dessert? Preaching to myself. Do I need to respond to every email and text right away? I know, I don't. But when we are playing the long game, every task that we choose to work on connects to the longer-term work, uh, the longer-term desired outcome, the bigger picture. And so in, in a sense, we're not asking ourselves if something matters, how, how much something matters. We're asking how long it matters. How long does it matter what you're working on? Will it, will it last five days? Will it last five weeks? Will it last to the end of your life? And so if you don't want to waste your life, listen in to what Acts 24 has to say to you. If you don't want to waste your life, God is going to show you how to have a long game in the book of Acts. And so please stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be looking at Acts 24, verses 1 through 8. Hi, Mosaic. It's Ray. Today we're reading from Acts chapter 24, verses 1 through 8. And after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus. They laid before the governor their case against Paul, and when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation, in every way and everywhere we accept this with all gratitude. But to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. For we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, we thank you for all of its beauty. Thank you that it has lasted and stood the test of time, that it is relevant then, and it is relevant in our parents' age, and it is relevant in our age today, and it will be here forever. And so, Lord, we thank you for, for bringing us yourself through your word. And so, Lord, would you uh, enact something special here, Lord, that we would get to connect with you and be intimate with you in, in a greater way this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we look at this text, it's, it's, it's a pretty simple uh, structure of the text. It's, it's a courtroom scene. And so my, my three points are pretty straightforward. It's the, the charges, the defense, and the verdict, right? The, the charges, the defense, the verdict. And so the charges. Paul has been taken prisoner, as we've seen before. He had that pretrial meeting last week. Uh, that ended with the high priest and the Sadducees ended up fighting uh, over him, over whether there's a resurrection or not. And so that made the Roman tribune say, okay, there's, I don't think there's anything uh, wrong with him that's worthy of killing him. And so let's bring him uh, up to a higher level to, to judge on this issue. And so uh, Lysiasius brings the case up to the governor Felix of the case here. And so picture this courtroom scene. You have Ananias, the high priest, bringing in a hired gun, this professional lawyer who definitely has a $3,000 suit on, who, who most undoubtedly has gel in his hair, and he's driving a Mercedes. Sorry, this is stereotyping lawyers. Robert, I love you, that's not you. Um, <laughs> but this is, th- this is this type of sleazy lawyer, the bad ones, not the good ones. And this lawyer opens his mouth and just a vomit of utter gagness comes out. I wish I could rephrase that. <laughs> but just, so, so flowery, over-the-top language comes out in verse 3. He says, since through you, he, this is the lawyer talking to the governor, Felix, over, over this area. Since through you, Felix, we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix... Reforms are being made for this nation. All right, so this man is a Jewish lawyer, and he starts by praising the governor who's bringing peace to this nation and to this area. But the Jews hated the Romans that were occupying that nation. They hated that they were being occupied by these foreign troops, and the peace that they experienced was at the cost of that Roman occupation. And so there was a saying that was going on during that day that said, everywhere Rome went, they brought a desert, but called it peace. Mm. So everywhere Rome went, they brought a desert, but they called it peace. There was a, This was a desert region, but the Jews actually made it lush with gardens and trees, and the Romans completely diluted the land. So when, when, when Romans would, would lay battle against their enemies, they would camp outside the, the fortress, and the soldiers, would as they're camped out, would... Start hacking down all the trees, just destroying all the vegetation all around. And so you can think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, who, who, who's on, this, uh, on the, the Mount of Olives and the slope of olive trees that were, were two to four hundred years old. That was just, it was lush. But by this day, there was not a single olive tree left. You make a desert and you call it peace. And this lawyer, Jewish lawyer, this attorney is saying, oh, thank you, most high, f- precious governor for how peaceful you are. It's important to mention also that, that Felix is known for being very, very cruel with the Jewish people. The, he, was, he, was that, he was so cruel that when the new emperor comes to, to the throne, he actually kicks Felix out for he was worried that Felix was too brutal. And do you know who that emperor was that comes to the throne that thinks Felix was being too harsh? His nickname was the Beast. His name was, was Caesar Nero. And so the Beast thought Felix was too brutal. Hmm. But we have this lawyer who's like, we acknowledge your providence. And like, (laughs) ah, you sycophant, (laughs) just just buttering the governor up. And after these excessive courtesies, his charges get laid against Paul. And so he lays three charges against Paul. The the three charges are he's stirring up riots. He's the ringleader of this Nazarene sect or cult. And that uh, he was a man who attempted to violate the sanctity of the temple. These are the three charges against him. In verse 5, he says, For we find this man a plague, saying that Paul is a plague. Tertullus is saying that Paul is, is like COVID, that everywhere he goes, he, he spreads this disease. Everywhere he goes, dissension arises, fights arise. And though there may be some that are asymptomatic, that they, they still spread that plague Don't let it fool you. They're spreading this disease because they are a disease. I mean, do you see the dehumanization happening there, that that they are a plague? But he goes on, the lawyer goes on and says, and I don't know how much you know about this cult, this is my interpretation, but they're radicalists. They're, 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 They're the ones who could bring down a whole system and a whole way of life. Some have called them the Nazarenes because their leader Who isn't even here anymore? He died. He was from Nazareth, and so we call them the the, the, the Nazarenes. And in verse six, he says he even tried Paul. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. And now here's the most fascinating part of this case. Look at at how the lawyer has pivoted the charge against Paul because because only a, a week ago, the charge against Paul is that he did profane the temple, that he did this action. But if you look at this verse here, it says, he even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. He was going to do something bad. He was going to do something bad, but we interceded and they had to change their case because it was just verifiably untrue of what just was happening here. And so if you, I don't know if you can see the lunacy of the case that's going on right here. Like he was going to profane the temple, but we had some precogs that told us about it. And so we interceded. And, you know, if it happens on Minority Report, it must be true. And so you can thank us and the precogs for interceding and stopping Paul from doing this pre-crime. And so, yeah, we should kill him for doing something he was, he was going to do, that we think he was going to do, because someone told he was, us he was going to do that. So what we have right here is the prosecution says we rest. <laughs> and so what we have is that, that we have nothing but slander. We have nothing but no witnesses and no evidence. It's just slander and presumption of guilt. And sadly, that's enough to, to prove people guilty in courts of law. And so have you ever been, have you ever been accused falsely? I mean, that, that is a, I bet that's one of the hardest experiences of your life. I mean, it's one thing for someone to uh, give you criticism, and we all just tend to, to shrink with criticism. We want to self-justify, um, you know, especially if the accusation's true. We want to, we you know, we want to maybe even push back because we, we know that it's deep down's true. But it's even harder when the charge is false. And I think that the natural inclination is to just have this sense of justice that that is just almost unbearable to say that this is not true. This is not true of me. You can't say this about me. This is wrong. This is evil. This is spiritual warfare that is being laid against me. And it is is an excruciating experience to go through. The charges have been laid, and now it's time for Paul's defense. And Paul's defense at first seems to come in line with maybe how you and I would defend ourselves uh, when, he, when falsely accused, he starts with some preliminary remarks to win the judge over. Verse 10 Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. And so notice how Paul is very neutral in this. He's not overly flowery <laughs> as Tertullus was, uh, but he just says, You have judged for many years. I'm not saying that was good or bad. Um, so he's trying to win him over. And then he says, and it's not been that long. Um, he's, he's saying, it, you can go check. It's, it's only been a few days, only 12 days since I was in the temple. And so he's going to say, go check it out. Go talk to people whether I was stirring up a commotion or not. No one will tell you that I was fighting. No one will tell you that I was stirring up a crowd and that this sect, this cult that I'm supposedly a part of is a continuation of Judaism. Like, this is not David Koresh Waco stuff. This is a continuation of what the Old Testament was talking about. This is what all the law and the prophets were pointing to. It's nothing new. It's just now being revealed. The Old Testament was the scaffolding to the building. But now that the scaffolding is pulled down, we can actually see what the building is. That the Old Testament has been talking about and pointing to a Messiah. And that Messiah I proclaim to you is Jesus the Christ. This is nothing new happening right here. Now, if these men want to defame me and slander me, they should bring their witnesses, Paul goes on to say. But they have none, nor will any come to testify this, because if they would, they would be here now, and they should be here now. What did I do? I took up offerings for the alms for the poor, for my Jewish brothers and sisters that were suffering. I mean, notice how Paul and the church are not defaming or shaming the Jewish people in light of all of this. He's saying, I am not against them. It's for them are the very reason I came. I came to worship in the temple in our Jewish tradition, and I came to care for our Jewish brothers and sisters, to bring alms to the poor. That's why I came. We're not anti-Semitic. We're not anti-them. We are totally for them. But Paul does make one confession, and the Paul is now on the trial of his life when he's accused of these three things and he rebuts those three things and he says, and he wants to add one thing further. And if you're Paul's lawyer, you're like, shut up, shut up, shut up. (laughs) Say no more. But Paul says in verse 21, the only thing I can remotely be guilty of, and everyone's just pausing, (gasps) That I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial before you this day. And so in a trial to save his life, he wants to tell them about the resurrection of the dead. And Paul is right that all these other things that are, that are accusing of him are, are, are not rooted in reality. What they're really angry about is telling other people about Jesus' death and life and re- resurrection. That since Jesus was raised, we will too. This is what they're, they're mad about. I mean, how much do you have to believe the gospel that on, on, on death row you are now preaching the gospel to the people who are trying to kill you? Do we believe it like that? Do I believe it? It's that important. That is that high up in my priority list? Paul is playing the long game, and he's planting seeds for what could happen. And that's when we come to the verdict. The prosecution rests, the defense rests, and now the verdict. Well, the bad news is there's actually no verdict. <laughs> and so, verse 22, "...but Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, when Lysiasius the tribune comes down, I w- then I will decide your case." And so Felix, the governor says, I'm going to wait to hear some more information before deciding on this, even though there's been no evidence that suggests that you are guilty. And so we're just going to let you sit in jail. We find out for two years, Paul is now sitting in jail for two years, for the rest of this chapter, is, is, you know, it's only a couple verses here. It is for two years that he now sits in imprisonment, wrongly accused. Two years, though Felix knows he, he's done nothing wrong, Felix is now making him in prison for two years, and Felix even thinks of himself as being very benevolent and giving him all these, these, these guests that can come visit him daily. He's able to have daily baths and, and food, but he's imprisoned. Justice delayed is justice denied. We know that. And as we're reading this book, Just Mercy, this week, I hope you got to read it, there's countless examples of men and women who have been locked away with little to no evidence. In fact, the evidence actually points against in the opposite direction here. But the cries of the people to accuse somebody, somebody's got to be guilty of this crime. And so the local sheriff feels the pressure that he's got to fix, fix the problem. And here's the scapegoat. It's Paul. Paul. Paul will be the scapegoat. He will be the one that we will sacrifice. But Felix does something unusual now. Verse 24, After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. You might think, okay, he, Felix now wants to hear about Christ Jesus. He wants to hear about faith in Christ Jesus. Well, that took a turn. Okay, okay. He's showing some interest in the faith. Okay, he's a seeker. Paul, make sure you're seeker-sensitive. You know, really, really kind of go gently with him. Paul, no. <laughs> Verse 25, and, and Paul, he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. So Paul <laughs> gets a chance to talk with this evil governor who's, who's showing interest in the faith, and he wants to talk about justice, and he wants to talk about self-control and judgment. Great, Paul. But he's trying to tell this to the very people that need to hear these three things the most. And so Paul gets a chance to talk with this evil, cruel governor who's known for hurting and killing Jewish men and women. And he brings his wife, Drusilla, here. And Paul doesn't say, let me tell you about how God wants to make your life better. You know, if you would just let me out of this cage, blessings will fall down like rain upon you. But you have to act now and let me out. Like that, <laughs> Paul is that. That's finite game thinking, and Paul has an infinite game in his mind. Paul is only interested in the long game, and that and that is the really long game, and that is their souls. He actually wants Felix and Drusilla, who were who were the ones who are accusing and slandering him. He wants them to come to know Jesus. Like that is just radical. It is just so so radical. Like I mean, think about the last time that you were accused or slandered was your first response, how can I share the gospel with this person? I mean, it's just completely antithetical to to the natural way of thinking. Like, deep down, we want to hate them. Deep down, we want nothing but the worst for them. Paul has reason for hate. He's being held prisoner for a crime he didn't commit. And Paul tells them about righteousness or justice and self-control and the coming judgment. These are the three things the governor and his wife so badly need to hear because the history books tell us that Felix was, was, uh, provokes his his this wife to leave her husband so that she would then come marrying him. And so, so he, he splits a marriage and has an unholy matrimony. And ba- so Paul says, well, let me tell you about justice since you're perverting justice. And let me tell you about self-control since you seem to not have any self-control. And let me tell you about judgment and the resurrection of the dead. And so Paul wants to tell him about a resurrection and a universal resurrection. Not just resurrection to heaven, but there's a resurrection for every single one of us. And some go to everlasting life, and some go to eternal damnation. Paul is concerned about his captors' souls. I mean, how do you do this? How do you care more about the soul of the people who malign you than your own innocence? And even in this act of love for the governor, the governor reveals his true motive for actually speaking with Paul is is not a good one. Verse 26, at that same time, he hoped that money would be given to him by Paul. And so he sent him often and conversed with him. And so he wanted a bribe from Paul. The governor was meeting with him because he wanted Paul to buy his way out of prison. As we read this past week in that book, Just Mercy, there's this saying that that capital punishment means them without the capital get the punishment. Them without the capital get the punishment. Sadly, those with money are able to get out of punishment And so what what money did did Paul have? The alms he was bringing to the poor. Mm. Felix was asking Paul, do you want freedom? Or do you want to care for these poor people? Pick. And of course, Paul denies it but he still seizes the opportunity to share the gospel with them. He still meets with them and tells them about Jesus and the resurrection. And you just got to say how does he do it? Paul is is on trial for telling others about the way, right? The way the truth the life Jesus. He's on trial for this. And he has to be reminded, and Luke helps remind us, that earlier in the book of Acts, Paul was on the trail seeking to destroy and persecute those who would follow the way. And so we have these bookend pictures of Paul's life where he's beginning with with seeking to destroy those those who would follow the way, and now he's being persecuted for following and teaching the way. And so Paul is able to give grace to those who don't deserve it because he knows he doesn't deserve it. He sees himself in these high priests. He sees that he is, he's only here by grace alone. That, that's the only reason he's standing here and not cowering today. Because if he were to hand over this money, yes, that might help him in the next five weeks. But what about the next five years? What about the next 50 years? What about into eternity? If that was true of me then, what will be true of me as when I come before the throne of Jesus? Paul is saying, I'm playing the long game and I cannot deny my God. And it's in this moment he, he's saying, I, I I'm I am privileged to have an attentive crowd and I'm going to share the gospel with them. Mmm. This, this whole chapter is just backwards. Paul was unfairly and unjustly accused by people who were looking only to condemn him. And they don't, they don't pronounce him innocent. They just let him rot in jail. And so Paul's trial makes us think of Jesus' trial. Jesus was also unfairly and unjustly accused by people who were only looking to condemn him. And though innocent, they didn't just let him sit in jail. They murdered him. It is just backwards that the innocent are named guilty. The innocent are named guilty. It's all backwards, but this is actually good news for you and me. Because the innocent are named guilty, the guilty will be named innocent. Mm. While Jesus was unfairly and unjustly accused, you and I are actually rightly and justly condemned. Like, we have sinned, we are complicit, we are guilty, but because Jesus, the innocent one, Jesus died for you and me, we are made free. His guilty plea sets me free. His guilty plea sets me free. Do you know that type of freedom? I mean, do you know that, that, that your sins are paid for? That you're truly free. And that changes you. I mean, I know deep down, most of us don't feel it. It doesn't feel right to think that I'm that free. It feels wrong because I don't have an, I'm like Paul, where I feel like I don't have an advocate there to, and I have to defend myself. And I look at myself and I just, I feel it deep down in my bones that I'm a sinner. But unlike Paul, we do have an advocate. We have an advocate who is pleading our defense on our behalf. We have a defender, And he is pleading our defense, though you may look down and you may see you are not spotless, we are not innocent, yet Jesus defends you as if you were. And yet Jesus defends you and he actually proves you innocent because he gives you his robe of righteousness to cover our sins so that they are not seen anymore and so that we are declared innocent, though we know we're not. Do you know you have a defender who fights for you? Can you rest in someone else defending you? Can you rest in that freedom that someone is fighting for you on your behalf? Do you know that type of forgiveness that is available to you that could change you to love those who malign you? Mm. If you don't know that type of forgiveness, let's just do something special right here. if you don't know that type of forgiveness and grace and mercy and you want it, would you pray with me right now? Let's pray. Jesus, repeat after me. Jesus, I am a sinner. I don't deserve your love. I deserve the wrath of God. But I confess I'm a sinner and you are a great savior. Lord, I need you. Rescue me. Amen. Hallelujah. If you just prayed that with us, we want to say hallelujah. The Lord is your defender and he fights for you. He's working on your behalf. And so the devil and the accusers may throw things at you, but you have the perfect defender who's also the judge and that we are innocent. And so would you let us know, email us, let us know if you did pray along with us. We want to contact you. We want to follow up. But everyone else, let's all all, all close in prayer here. Lord, move our hearts to be moved by mercy and grace. May mercy and grace, that unmerited grace, that we don't deserve it, move us. May we taste it, that we may extend it to others. Lord, we are not excusing the abuse of power, Lord, we condemn that. But for our hearts, as well as for theirs, help us to see as Paul did and extend mercy and grace to those who he rightly should have blasted. Lord, give us a picture of the long game to care for those even into eternity, to rewrite our priorities, to value love and justice, mercy and truth. Father, be all of our advocates and may we let you be our defender. Amen.